0: First reading is from Revelation 7. If you could like, if you could have um, uh, you know those uh, the churches where uh they get together and then they watch the service on a screen, like from the Mother Church. Uh this is kind of what Revelation 7 is. We're all gathered here right now. But like the Mother Church service that's going on right now, that uh John in Revelation is going to give us a little uh a little look at uh through uh, uh CCTV is the service that's happening around the throne of the Lamb right now at this moment. And this is what Revelation said. This is going on right now. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. Thanks be to God. Uh, here's the letter to Philemon again, and you can see verses 12-16 through 16 is, in, is uh, bolded out there. That's what we're going to be talking about in the sermon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the Gospel, but I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dear to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. You guys will recognize this. This is the Beatitudes. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when He sat down, His disciples came to Him. for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Okay, uh, Philemon. Some of our verses 12-16. through Uh, Just to kind of reset... Um, Philemon has a slave uh, named Onesimus. This is what we get from just hearing one side of this conversation. Onesimus has run away from Philemon. Philemon is a friend of Paul's. Paul has uh, started a church or ministered to a church that meets in Philemon's house. Onesimus has run away from Philemon and somehow managed to bump into Paul in prison. Uh, We don't know where Paul's in prison at. I'm, I'm guessing it's when he's in prison in Ephesus. But he manages to bump into Paul there. He comes to faith. Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon with this letter. And also, incidentally, it has nothing to do with this sermon, but with the book of Colossians, the letter of Colossians as well. And so Paul has been, uh, the purpose of Philemon, which, especially if you've been here as we've read through it, I think four or five times now, is to encourage Philemon to take Onesimus back but in a particular way, not as a slave, but much more than a slave, now as a dear brother, as Paul says here. And Paul has the- theological reasons for doing this. This is not just simply, we, you know, it's really not nice to have slaves, Philemon. I- I'm going to send him back, but if you want to be a good human being, you won't keep him as a slave anymore. I mean, this is true enough, but there's actually theological reasons for doing this behind behind all of this, which we've started to unpack slowly but surely. Uh, The big one that we started off with was in verse 6, if you can look back there with me. Paul says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. I told you when we were talking about verse 6, this is the linchpin of the letter to Philemon. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. And again, for those of you who weren't here for, for that sermon, that word sharing there in the NIV is not a very good translation because when you and I think of sharing your faith, you think of evangelism. This is not what Paul has in mind. He has the, the word there is koinonia, like fellowship, like sharing your faith, not in the sense of talking about Jesus to unbelievers, which, by the way, you should be doing, but that's not Paul Paul's point here in Philemon, but sharing your faith life with other Christians, living life together with other Christians. I pray that you would be active in sharing your faith life with other Christians, so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Fellowship is every the, the, the every good thing that we have in Christ Jesus is fellowship. This is what you were created for is the relationships that you're building now in Christ Jesus. In this church, and of course, this is All Saints Day, uh, with relationships with other believers outside this church as well. But especially the community that you're building here. That's actually the goal. That's not something that we do to kill time until we get to go to heaven when we die. God is creating a new people for Himself that involves all of us from different backgrounds. Maybe not enough different backgrounds, but still different backgrounds. This is the sharing of our faith that is every good thing that God has given to us. And I thought, I, I, I mentioned this to, the, to these two couples last week, but I just was, uh, one of the things that I loved about the baptism last week, was that, you know, Joe and Meg were up there with Ray and then Dave and Jamie were there and Joe and Meg and Dave and Jamie have become good friends and they didn't know each other at all a year ago. This is actually, oh, so friendship is nice, right? Okay. It's good to have good friends. But this is actually the work of the Holy Spirit. This is gospel business happening. And to share in the fa- they're sharing in faith life with each other. I mean, on the surface, of course. I don't mean on the surface in a shallow sense. On the surface, to our view, they are now, the four of them, going to share the raising of Ray together. Joe and Meg is parents and Dave and Jamie godparents. But that's just a symbol of the greater life that they're sharing together. And that all of you are called to share together as well. This is what Paul's trying to get Philemon to focus on here is that the whole point of the gospel... I'm not exaggerating. I don't don't need to qualify this or nuance this. The whole point of the gospel is not to get you to heaven when you die. That's a nice side effect. The whole point of the gospel is not so that you feel less guilty about your sin. That too is a nice side effect, although, like side effects, it comes and it goes. The point of the gospel is this community that God is creating for himself. That's the point. I pray that they may be one as you and I are one, Jesus says in John 17. That's what's happening here. Paul wants Philemon to see that it's happening, not just with his rich muckety-muck friends, also slave owners maybe, landowners, but with this slave that he's sending back to him, is now a full-fledged member of the body of Christ. And if the gospel works, that relationship will no longer be the same. Okay, That brings us to our verses for today. I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. Verse 12. So Paul's saying to Philemon, I'm sending Onesimus, who is my very heart back to you. I don't, don't show me your hands. I wonder how many of you have noticed, as we've been reading this, have you noticed the, the way the word heart pops up three times here in Philemon? And it's kind of awkward a little bit the way it happens. Paul uses the word heart here because, again, this, this goes along with his theological point. So if you look up at verse 7, he says to Philemon, your love's given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. That's a weird thing to say, isn't it? You've refreshed the hearts of the saints. But Paul's a point. He's going to try and draw some connections here. So he's saying to Philemon, I know, Philemon, I know your heart. And your heart is to take care of the hearts of the saints, right? You are sharing in your faith life with the rest of the saints. Philemon, you understand the gospel. You are getting it. Your life is about the hearts of your fellow believers. All right, jump over to verse uh, 12, or verse 20. Uh, again, he's going he's to finish off with this. I do wish, brother Philemon, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. So he starts off by saying, refresh the hearts of the saints. I know that you do that. Now, at the end, I want you to refresh my heart. This is what the gospel is about, Philemon. I know that you get it because you refresh the hearts of the saints. I believe that you're going to get it because you're going to refresh my heart because I'm your brother in Christ too. And then right in the middle of that, he says in our verse, verse 12, I'm sending Onesimus, who is my very heart, back to you. So Philemon, I know that you refresh the hearts of the saint. I know that you're going to refresh my heart. Do you know who my heart or what my heart is, Philemon? My heart is Onesimus. He's asking Philemon to treat Onesimus like the other saints whose hearts he refreshed. He's asking, this is uh, two weeks from now, by the way, he's asking Philemon to treat Onesimus just like he would treat St. Paul. I want you to think of this slave of yours the way that you think about me, he says to Philemon. If, if Philemon can think about Onesimus in the same way he thinks about Paul, the gospel works and slavery is dead. Gospel is the cure here, okay? All right, so let's keep on going. Um, verse 13, I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me, While I'm in chains for the gospel, this of course assumes that Philemon wants to help Paul out. Paul believes he does. And it also assumes that in Philemon's mind, the best way he could help Paul out was to loan Paul his slave. I'm going to give you my slave. I'm I'm going to ship him to you and then he can be your slave. Paul's going to say, I'm going to take you up on that. I want to take you up on that. I want Onesimus here with me. But no longer is a slave, but as a dear brother in Christ. Let's keep on moving. Uh, verse uh, 14, but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. I didn't want to force you. This goes back to the sermon from two weeks ago, verse 8, Paul says, therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appealed to you on the basis of love. He makes the same point here in verse 14. I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. C- can you hang with me just for a second? I'm going to like explain what this word favor means. And this could be boring. It's, uh, it could be boring. Just hold, if you like follow along with me, it'll be a good point. Uh, but if you're kind of zoned out a little bit, you'll be like, oh, this is boring. Now, I'm, what I just did there was I blamed you for being boring in just a second. And you'll bear with me and let me do that. I, I know it's not your fault. I'll try to make it interesting. I'll try to do this in a really dynamic way. Oh, that's a joke. That word favor there, the Greek word there is not the word favor. So do you have any favor you do, he's not asking for a favor. The Greek, what it says in Greek is literally this. So that your good thing, so that your good thing will be spontaneous and not forced. Your good thing. I'm asking you to send an estimate to me. I didn't force you to do this. I didn't keep him here and just assume you're gonna do it because I want you to do this willingly. I want your good thing to be done willingly. Where have we heard that phrase your good thing? We just talked about it a few minutes ago. In verse 6, right? I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith life together so that you have a full (laughs) understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. And now he's saying, Philemon, here's your good thing. Your good thing is to have this sort of like three-way friendship with me and Onesimus on equal footing. You, the rich man. Me, the apostle of Jesus Christ. Him, the slave. Three completely different walks of life. Your good thing is to jump into that relationship feet first and share that with me. That's your good thing. You're going to get to experience the fullness of Jesus Christ by having this relationship. Can I say, let me say something about the word spontaneous. This doesn't have anything to do with the sermon, but the word spontaneous there, also not a super great translation. It's actually just the word for voluntary. I, 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 I bring this up. It's not, it's really kind of a pedantic point, but I bring it up because sometimes we have the illusion that If something's not spontaneous, it's not really legitimately yours or genuine. That's not true. You you can actually do the right thing sometimes in a thought-out way. He doesn't mean like, I just wanted you to spontaneously say, yes, Onesimus can be our friend. I wanted you to do it willingly, is what he's saying. I want you to do it voluntarily. Okay. Perhaps the reason, verse 15 Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. Now, okay, I know this is weird too. This is really kind of disjointed, what I'm doing here this morning. And I didn't really, I couldn't think of a better way to do it. Verse 15, can we put it on hold? I actually want to preach the whole sermon next Sunday, just about verse 15, because it's really good. It's, it's really philosophically challenging. How could slavery work out for this guy's good and God's glory? It's a super important question. There are bad things in the world. There's cancer, there's violence, and everything in between, you know, all the other things too. You know, bad days, upset stomachs, crosswords. How, where does a good God fit into all of that? Why is he letting all that stuff happen? Verse 15 is going to help us with that, but let's pass it up right now and come back to it next Sunday and jump to verse 16. And now verse 16, this is what I actually want to talk about now, verse 16, okay? No longer is a slave, I want you to take him back no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother-in-law. Okay. Does it bother you guys at all? Does it trouble you that Paul doesn't come out against slavery? That Paul doesn't say, by the way, Philemon, slavery is extremely wrong. Does it bother you that he doesn't say that? I mean, he could, I guess. He could say, owning another human being and controlling that other human being is evil. We see how that works out in the evil in the Roman Empire. Slaves were usually, I mean, they were going to live extremely short lives because they were going to be worked to death, even in the Roman Empire. Uh, Almost all of them were going to, men and women both, were going to be sexually exploited at least some point in their lives. Men, as when they were young boys, women their whole lives, from being tiny girls until they died were going to be exploited for sexual reasons. Why does You know, Paul could say, Philemon, stop it. Just stop it. It's evil. And he doesn't do that. And that troubles some of us that Paul has a chance to come out against slavery. I mean, other places he actually says, like in, in Ephesians, like slaves, obey your masters. Why doesn't Paul come out against slavery? Here's the thing. This coming out against stuff, making statements against stuff, this is what politicians do, right? Like, there's an act of terrorism, and we just assume that all of our politicians are going to say, We denounce this act of terrorism. Oh, okay. I mean, they have to do it, right? But what does it accomplish? Are any terrorists ever, like, looking at Twitter and seeing politicians come out against them and, like, Oh, oh no, the President of the United States came out against terrorism. Maybe we should stop this thing. Well, it doesn't do anything. It's political play, right? I mean, the politician that you like, you get to say, oh, look, they're against terrorism. That's a really strong statement. If it's a politician, you don't like what we do is we say, oh, you should have come out sooner. Why, why'd you wait so long before you sent out that tweet? Or your policies don't match up with that tweet. I would take your tweet a whole lot seriously if your policies were different. It's all political gameplay, right? I mean, coming out against something, we, we see that with really, really bad things, like terrorism, like uh, you know, sexual harassment. Does it actually ever accomplish anything? And the answer is No. Paul could shoot off something on Twitter and he he could act at Philemon and say, by the way, bro, slavery wrong, but it's not going to change anything. Now, what about law? Maybe maybe politicians can pass laws, right? But even that, I, I don't think any of us thinks that racism was done away with when the Emancipation Proclamation was signed, right? I mean, you can make laws, but it doesn't change people's hearts, and this is, by the way, this is totally random that this is showing up on the week before elections. But as a commercial, can I say this? But, but, but politicians are super important. We need people who devote their lives to serving and protecting us and to making sure that basic needs are met and that we're defended and that we have roads that we can drive on and get from home to work and stuff like that. I'm not anti-politician, but here's 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 what I am anti. We Christians on both sides of the aisle have this problem where we somehow imagine that if we can get the people that we want elected, elected, everything's going to be okay. This is not true. There is not a single person up for election. There's not a single person whose name I've seen come through my mailbox like crazy in the past two months who is able to do what only the Messiah can do. And this is not an aside from the text here. Paul could make a political statement, right? Paul could call his congressman or his local governor or the senator in charge of Asia Minor and say, hey, you guys need to pass a vote against slavery. And they could debate it, and maybe they could pass a vote against slavery. But Paul has bigger fish to fry. Paul wants to cut the legs out from under slavery. Right? Politicians are not able to save you. The political process is not able to redeem you. The Gospel can, though. The Gospel can rescue you. Right? Think about where where Philemon is at. Philemon is trapped, not just in sinful behavior, but in sinful cycles of thought. Philemon, I'm sure, just assumes slavery is a part of the economic world in the Greco-Roman world. He just assumes it. But, and he knows the gospel. There's a church that meets at his house. He has not yet made a move to recognize his slaves as full brothers and sisters in Christ. And we see this throughout history. George Washington had slaves. Thomas Jefferson had slaves. Robert E. Lee had slaves. All three men at different points said that they believed that slavery was an evil. But did they give up their slaves? No. What's going on in their head when they say slavery is an evil, it shouldn't exist? But they actually don't give up their own slaves. Well, they're just like me and you. They have sinful thought patterns and behaviors that you know are wrong, but you just can't imagine not having those there. You can't imagine any other way of life. And we as humans are really, really capable of you know, living with two sort of different things going on, living a life of antinomy, where you believe one thing and act a certain way. And we can even say, you know, I believe this. I don't really do it. I guess I don't kind of practice what I preach, but I really do think this is right. We do this a lot. I mean, I tell people in marriage counseling all the time, I say I say this especially to husbands, look, the question is not, are you right and wrong? You need to be the leader and just say to your wife, I'm sorry for fighting with you. Like, but if you ask me, Aaron, can you imagine getting in an argument with Angela and you know that you're right, which I always know that I'm right. That's the way arguments work, right? And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even trying to be funny. I just, that's the way sin is. I always know that I'm right and that she's wrong. Can I imagine saying to Angela, when I know that I'm right and she's wrong, can I imagine saying to her, I'm really sorry for fighting with you. This is my fault. I can't even imagine doing that, even though it's the kind of thing that I tell people in marriage counseling to do all the time. Why is that? Because I'm a slave to this sinful behavioral, I'm a slave to this sinful relationship pattern. Right? And I'm a slave to the desire to make Angela my slave to always be right and she always be wrong to always have the moral high ground and she always has the moral low ground to always be the correct one and she always be the mistaken one and if and if you think about your relationship with your parents you know you know teens and kids a lot of you struggle with this too you just can't imagine a relationship where there's harmony because you both parents and kids you you, you are enslaved to the desire to enslave the other ones, to always get your way and they always don't get their way. And this is the way that we work, to, Christian or not, not Christian, this is our natural state, is to try to enslave other people. We would never say it like that, of course. It's a horrible thing to say. But we want everything to go our ways. You know this, this is the way it works at your job, too, is that if things don't go your way at work, you're extremely you just assume that there's something wrong with the world. I'm the same way. If things don't go the way I want here at church, I just assume that somebody's screwed up somewhere. I know what I'm doing. You know, you should listen to me. It's this desire to enslave other people. Now, that's wrong. I could stand up here and tell you that's wrong. I could fire off tweets at you guys and say, hey, be nice to your wife. Don't fight with your kids. Teens, obey your parents. And all this stuff would be true, right? Like, don't go to work and be Mr. Likes to Fight guy at work. Like, bend over backwards to serve. I could I could do all this. Like, Paul could have done that too. But it wouldn't actually help me and you out. Because that's all just law. Only the gospel can cure you. Only the gospel can make you say, well, here's what the gospel does. Look at verse, um, last, last verse, last line of the verse. He's very dear to me, but even dear to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. You see what the Gospel's doing here? The Gospel's doing two different things. The gospel is saying, first of all, Onesimus is in the Lord. You are in the Lord. We have to understand that our identity is not I win all the arguments with my wife. My identity is not I get everything correct and so people should just do what I want them to do. My identity is not I'm the guy whose kids always lovingly and happily obey him. If that's, my, if that's what I build my identity around, what's going to happen is I'm going to fight with my wife and my kids and co-workers all the time, trying to get that territory, which can never be mine. Because my wife will never be wrong all the time. And my kids will never happily obey me. And things will never go right at work. And as long as that's my identity, I'm going to suffer. But if my identity can be in Christ, I don't need my wife to agree with me all the time. My happiness does not depend upon whether my kids obey me or not. My happiness does not depend upon whether everything goes my way at work or not because I am in Christ and in the gospel, in Jesus Christ. I have every single thing that I need. I don't need anything else from anybody else. I mean, I get to serve these people, but I don't have to have stuff from them in order to be happy. That's the first thing. But the second thing is this. Onesimus is your brother in the Lord. I'm in Christ. I don't need anything else. But you're in Christ and you don't need anything else either. And so I'm not going to hold that over your head. You can't carry the weight of being my slave to make me happy. And I can't carry the weight of being your slave to make you happy. Whenever I'm right, you're right. And whenever I'm wrong, you're wrong. And Whenever I'm happy, you're happy. And whenever I'm sad, you're sad. Because I can't possibly own you because you own me. And Christ owns both of us. Amen.